It's August 18, 2019. The Steve G has finally come back to the great state. Ohio. Going to go across the lines with Richie Valens and Roberto Clemente and hater appreciation for a bedwinch in the cesspool of America, better known as Florida. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. Did you thank your mom for making those sloppy joes? Because nobody makes them sloppy like mom can. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like bedwinches in the state that you love to hate, Florida. What's up, everybody? I'm your bastard of ceremonies, Steve O'Canivo, one gig kid, Steve G, and this is Over the Culture. So we're back after taking a week off. Um, we sat out last Sunday because I was back home in Ohio uh, for my great-grandmother's funeral. I was there from Wednesday to the following Tuesday. And I just had a lot on my plate. Um, you know, a lot of my time was taken up, uh, you know, being around my family, spending time with my family. And, you know, while I was there, I had to make a decision of coming back home. So that's where I'm at now. I am in Ohio. And when I got to Houston on Tuesday, me and my buddy Maurice, uh, we packed up all the things I had in my apartment and we got the fuck out of Texas. And then we went from Texas to Arkansas, uh, Darkensaw, and we went to Tennessee after we got the fuck out of there. And then we went to Kentucky. Then we went to Ohio. Yeah. So now I'm back in Ohio and looking, looking at it the most positive way I can. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends. I have a, a lady in Houston who, who I miss, who I love. Um, but yeah, we're going to make it work. Moving back to Ohio, this gives me an opportunity to be around my family. Um, I need to be around my family. My family needs to be around me more. Um, I, I miss them. I love them. And I haven't really been around them at full capacity since 2007 when I moved from Ohio, uh, when I first moved to Houston. And a lot has transpired. Um, not just with my family, uh, with my friends as well. A lot of things have, you know, have happened. Uh, some family members aren't with me anymore. Uh, some of my friends uh, have moved. They don't live in Ohio anymore. Some of them have families now. They don't have the time like, like they used to. So I can't come back to Ohio with the 2006 mindset like, hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Where, where, where's the party at? And me, myself, I don't go out like I did when I used to live in Ohio. Um, I'm 35 now, be 36 next month, God willing. And different people, people have different things going on, basically. The native son has returned. Yes, indeed. And it, it does feel good to be back home. 
I kind of miss the familiarity of it all. And, you know, Sandusky, Ohio, uh, it's my hometown. And it's a small town in a small state. It's, it's not Houston. It's not Texas. And all the black people I, I either I'm either related to or I know their families and vice versa. And that could be a really great thing. Uh, not so great thing. I, because of who I am, it, it could be a really great thing um, because I move accordingly. Um, you know, it's kind of like a town where everybody knows your name. Sandusky, Ohio. Yes, I miss you with your dusty ass. I love you. Can't stand you sometimes. But hey, what can you do? biggest news in sports lately has been about Jay-Z in the NFL. On Wednesday, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Jay-Z announced a partnership between the league and the legendary rapper's entertainment company, Rock Nation. The partnership would be part entertainment and part activism and involve NFL's Inspire Change campaign, which will promote criminal justice reform and better police community relations. The online backlash came almost instantaneously. The anger at Jay-Z involved his support for Colin Kaepernick, the ex-49ers quarterback who kneeled during the national anthem in protest against police brutality and hasn't been signed to an NFL team in years. Kaepernick and his supporters believe it's because of his activism, not his football skills, that he's been kept out of the NFL. Jay-Z, once a Kaepernick defender, told the Wall Street Journal that there are two parts of protesting. You go outside and you protest, and then the company of the individual says, I hear you. What do we do next? I think we've moved on past dealing. I think it's time for action. The online Wolsters found this unacceptable. Twitter exploded with people calling Jay-Z a sellout. Jamel Hill wrote a long piece for the Atlantic titled, Jay-Z helped the NFL banish Colin Kaepernick, censuring the rapper as an accomplice in the league's hypocrisy. David Zirin of The Nation, sounding vaguely like a Viet Cong propagandist, announced the NFL-Jay-Z alliance as a ruling class compact. People are finding any and every reason to say fuck Jay-Z. Fuck Jigga, right? Because he's never done anything for the culture, he's never done anything for his people, and he really needs this money to do this venture with the NFL, right? Jamel Hill, sit down. You hotep, fake, woke, keyboard crip motherfuckers shut the fuck up jay-z has done a lot more than these supposed woke people you snap your fingers and you go at your slam poetry sessions and you want to denounce jay-z jay-z doesn't need the nfl's money jay-z doesn't need to turn his back if he was going to sell out he would have done it a long time ago him and his wife have been for the culture And I think we should reserve our judgment until we see how this venture plays out. I believe the whole point of this was to bring even more of an awareness. Colin Kaepernick, he did it by kneeling. And even before Colin Kaepernick, we were aware of police brutality. He just did his part. So now Jay-Z is doing his part. He can't throw on the pads, put on a uniform and, and kneel. But what he can do is use his spotlight, use his platform to try to make a change. And as a Sean Carter fan, as a fan of the Carter family, I believe that's where his intentions are. 
he's not at a loss for money. I'm pretty sure he's good on that. Jigga, you still my nigga. Today in sports history, in 1931, Lou Gehrig goes hitless in Detroit, his 1,000th consecutively played game. In 1958, Floyd Patterson TKOs Roy Harris in 13 for heavyweight boxing title. In 1964, South Africa is banned from the Olympic Games because of apartheid policies. In 1973, Hank Aaron records his 1,378 extra base hit, surpassing Stan Musial's record. In 1980, Kansas City Royals' George Brett reaches a batting average of 400. Wow. In 1981, football running back Herschel Walker of the University of Georgia takes out a Lloyds of London insurance policy for $1 million. In 1982, Pete Rose sets a record with his 13,941st plate appearance. In 1987, Houston Oiler Earl Campbell retires from the NFL. And in 2016, Jamaica's Usain Bolt wins the gold medal in the men's 200 meter for the third successive Summer Olympics, recording a time of 19.78 in Rio de Janeiro. And that was my half-assed sports report. When we come back, we're going to go across the lines with Roberto Clemente and Richie Valens. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays, former NFL players Jeremy Shockey and Bart Scott both turned 39. American actor and producer Malcolm Jamal Warner, who famously played Theodore Huxtable on The Cosby Show, is 49 today. Actor Edward Norton turns 50. Former NBA player Kenny Skywalker is 55 today. Former NBA player Lafayette Lever is 59. Wrestler and trainer Tom Pritchard is 60 years old today. Dennis Leary turns 62 today. Comedian Martin Mull turns 76. Actor, director, and producer Robert Redford, he's 83. Director Roman Polanski is 86 today. And former first lady Rosalind Carter turns 92 today. Happy birthday, guys. On the next episode of Booty and Fight in Atlanta, this bitch pours a drink on that hoe when she finds out they're fucking the same nigga. Tune in to VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta, a show filled with cattiness, rattiness, fake tits, fake boobs, wigs, weaves, and most importantly, niggas. VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta. Yeah, this is the Mo and Steve Road Show, and we're in Tennessee now. Just left my aunt's house. My aunt was cool, and she just moved in her new spot. It's a beautiful apartment, and glad for new beginnings for her, new beginnings for her nephew. And man, it was a smooth trip. So far, man, we we still have like one or two more states to go, but like Texarkana. Uh, glad we made it through Texarkana uh, because I hate the name is about as much as I hate the state of Florida. It's a dumb name, and I feel like the state Arkansas. No offense to people in Arkansas, but uh, I hate the name Arkansas because I just think it's it's a stupid name. It's not 
his console, her console, your console, or my console. It's Arkansas. And it's not pronounced like Arkansas, which is what it's spelled like. Yeah, dude. And it, I feel like that's just lazy. You just like took another state and it was like, it's, it's our, okay, Kansas, it's our Kansas. How about that? And dude, I shit you, what was the name of that other one? It was like a, our, it was another R, but with the city, it was like our Detroit or our Chicago. It's like, what the fuck? Are you guys fucking slow off sniffing glue? Man, I digress. Uh, I know I have a huge Arkansas uh, listenership, so there goes that. Uh, yeah, I, I messed up a lot of advertising in Arkansas. Was it like Archipelago or some shit? It, it was another city with R. It's like, that's so like half ass. So we made it through there. We got to Arkansas, came across this ratty clerk. I'm knocking on the window to see if they're open. She's just counter money and doesn't do anything. She looks at me and just keeps counter money. And it's probably difficult for her to do because she's a fucking gas station clerk in Arkansas. But damn, a simple head nod, no, we're closed. That would have sufficed. Then we got out of Arkansas, we made it to Tennessee. Tennessee was a smooth trip, made it to my auntie's. And now we're at a Burger King parking lot looking at these coupons. What happens when you move all the black and brown people out of the neighborhood and replace them with urban professionally minded 30-something Caucasians? What's up, bruh? Do you vape? Tight, homie. Want to join my fantasy league? From the producers of Job Discrimination Disco, Fox presents a new reality show that's guaranteed to keep the property value rising. Gentrification, this fall on Fox. And a special mention to those no longer with us. Just last night, Cedric Benson, former NFL running back and one of the most prolific rushers in University of Texas history, has died in a motorcycle accident in Texas at the age of 36. He led his high school Midland lead to three straight state championships, the only three in school history from 1998 to 2000. Benson played at Texas from 2001 to 2004, and his 5,540 yards ranked second at the university and ninth in NCAA history. He scored 64 career touchdowns with the Longhorns and won the Doak Walker Award, given to the nation's top running back in 2004. He was the only player in school history to rush for at least 1,000 yards in four seasons and was inducted into the school's Hall of Honor in 2014. Benson was drafted number four overall by the Chicago Bears in 2005 and played eight seasons in the NFL with the Bears, Cincinnati Bengals, and Green Bay Packers. He finished his career with 6,017 yards and 46 touchdowns. Benson returned to Austin after his playing days and set up a foundation, Nuff Said, spelled N-U-F-C-E-D, to aid underprivileged children and families. Those efforts included helping repair damage at the home of the first victim killed in the series of bombings in Austin, early 2018. Roberto Enrique Clemente Walker was born August 18, 1934. 
He was a Puerto Rican professional baseball right fielder who played 18 seasons in Major League Baseball for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1973, becoming both the first Latin American and Caribbean player to be enshrined. Clemente spent much of his time during the offseason involved in charity work. When Managua, the capital city of Nicaragua, was affected by massive earthquake on December 23, 1972, Clemente immediately set to work arranging emergency relief flights. After having the first three flights diverted by corrupt officials of the Somoza government, Clemente decided to board the fourth flight, hoping that his presence would ensure that the aid would be delivered to the survivors. The cargo plane he boarded had a history of mechanical problems and was missing a flight engineer, co-pilot, and was overloaded by 4,200 pounds. His flight crashed into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Isla Verde, Puerto Rico, immediately after takeoff on December 31, 1972, due to engine failure. His body was never recovered. Patrick Wayne Swayze, born August 18, 1952, was an American actor, dancer, singer, and songwriter. He was named by People Magazine as its sexiest man alive in 1991. Swayze received three Golden Globe nominations during his career for Dirty Dancing, Ghost, and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. He received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1996. After an ongoing battle with pancreatic cancer, Swayze died on September 14, 2009 with his family by his side at the age of 57. His body was cremated and his ashes were scattered over his New Mexico ranch. He was also posthumously awarded the Rolex Dance Award in 2009. Get aware that the storm before dysfunction gives way to reform. Before we understand, there's no consolation when you let cronyism sabotage a nation. Case in point, here come the elite. Put your shirt off your back and the shoes off your feet. Represented by vultures who overshadow the culture. Don't it feel like we get fucked over? A soldier's blood sealed up in a barrel of oil. Casualty of America's spoils. Corrupt cops and broke correctional system. Cold trap Latinos and blacks in prison. This to the bullshit bureaucracy to silence the people with bullshit philosophy. If the meek inherit the earth, they gotta be willing to stand for it first. Really matter in a fight for your life. If the foot on your neck is the left or right. When every politician in the house is bought. And they never show remorse even when they get caught. Except that it's broke, gotta fix it. Trying to kick it to you, but you're not listening. It's a problem to manage your attention. Metamorphosis, no, gotta be a better way than this one. Break the poor man's back for the rich one. Shit is sick, but we got the prescriptions. Metamorphosis, no. Politics pinned by financial backers. Enter and panhandlers for animal crackers. Democracy or a hypocrisy. Push forward on the envelope constantly. With the demon possums, carbon copies. Constitutions being used as proxy. Ancient views believed by fools. No progress when seeing shoes. Always doing what you already did. So you always got what you still gonna get. Calling through the webs of hate and condemnation. The fucking the country. Put a cop on the nation. Being killed by the sound of silence. Closed mouths don't get fed. It's mindless. When you see truth, it's easy to see. Stupid, but the older I get, the less I expect. Life. If the foot on your neck is a left or right When every politician in the house is bored And they never show remorse even when you get caught Except that it's broke, gotta fix it Trying to kick it to you but you're not listening It's the problem to manage your attention 
Metamorphosis, huh? Gotta be a better way than this one. Break the poor man's back for the rich one. Shit is safe, but we got the prescription. Metamorphosis. Today would have been Roberto Clemente's 85th birthday. He died in 1972 at the age of 38 when the plane he boarded crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. Throughout his baseball career, he earned 15 All-Star appearances, National League MVP, 12 Golden Glove Awards, 4 National League batting titles, 2 World Series titles, and a World Series MVP. Although 38 is a really young age to pass, Clemente was able to squeeze an 18-year Major League Baseball career within that short lifespan. Another cultural icon who died from a plane crash passed away before he even got to see his 18th birthday. And that person was Richie Valens. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. Richard Stephen Valenzuela was born May 13, 1941 in Pacoima, California to Joseph Stephen Valenzuela and Concepcion Reyes. He was the second of five siblings. Valenzuela was brought up listening to traditional Mexican mariachi music as well as flamenco guitar, R&B, and up-tempo or jump blues. He expressed an interest in making music of his own by the age of five. His father pushed him into taking up guitar and trumpet and he later taught himself the drums. Though Valenzuela was left-handed, he was so eager to learn the guitar that he mastered the traditionally right-handed version. He was a self-taught musician who often improvised lyrics and guitar riffs to popular songs while he played. Bob Keen, the owner and president of small record label Del Five Records in Hollywood, was given a tip in May 1958 from a San Fernando high school student about a young performer from Pacoima by the name of Richard Valenzuela, and by this time he was referred to as the Little Richard of San Fernando. This moved Keen to see Valenzuela play a Saturday morning matinee at a movie theater in San Fernando. Impressed by the performance, he invited him to audition at his home in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles, where he had a recording studio in his basement. After this audition, Keen signed Valenzuela to Del Phi on May 27, 1958. He also took the name Richie, as there were a bunch of Richards around at the time, Keen said. Valenzuela was also shortened to Valens to widen his appeal beyond any obvious ethnic group. After several recording sessions with Keen in his basement studio, Keen decided that Valens was ready to enter the studio with the full band backing him. The musicians included guitarist Renee Hall, bassist Carol Kay, and drummer Earl Palmer, all prolific musicians in their own right. It was with this group that he'd record a double A-side record, the final record to be released in his lifetime, which featured the song Donna, coupled with his biggest hit, La Bamba. It sold over one million copies and was awarded a gold disc. The demands of his career forced Richie to drop out of high school. Keen booked appearances at venues across the United States and performances on television programs. This required extensive travel. However, Valens had a fear of flying due to a freak accident at his junior high school when on January 31, 1957, two airplanes collided over the playground, killing and injuring several of his friends. Coincidentally, Richie was attending his grandfather's funeral that day, but was upset about the loss of his friends. He eventually overcame his fear enough to travel by airplane for his career. He flew to Philadelphia to appear on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. He flew to Hawaii to perform alongside Buddy Holly, to New York City for Alan Freed's Christmas Jubilee. In early 1959, Valens was traveling the Midwest on a multiple act rock and roll tour dubbed The Winter Dance Party. Accompanying him were Buddy Holly, 
Dion and the Belmonts, JP the Big Bopper Richardson, and Frankie Sardo. Conditions on the tour buses were abysmal and bitterly cold. Midwest weather took its toll on the party. After the February 2nd performance in Clear Lake, Iowa, Buddy Holly, Big Bopper Richardson, and Valens flew out the Mason City Airport in a small plane that Holly chartered. Valens was on the plane because he won a coin toss with Holly's backup guitarist, Tommy Alsop. At approximately 12.55 on February 3rd, 1959, they departed for Fargo, North Dakota, and crashed a few minutes after takeoff, for reasons still unknown. The crash killed all three passengers and pilot Roger Peterson instantly upon impact. Valens suffered massive and unsurvivable head injuries, along with blunt force trauma to the chest. At just 17 years old, Valens was the youngest to die in the crash. Roberto Clemente debuted with the Pittsburgh Pirates on April 17, 1955. In the beginning of his time with the Pirates, he experienced frustration because of racial tension with the local media and even some of his teammates. Clemente responded to this by stating, I don't believe in color. He noted that during his upbringing, he was taught to never discriminate against someone based on their ethnicity. Clemente was at a double disadvantage as he was a Latin American and Caribbean player who knew very little English and was black, being of African descent. Following the 1961 season, he traveled to Puerto Rico along with Orlando Cepeda, a native of Ponce, Puerto Rico. When they arrived, they were received by 18,000 people. The night of July 24, 1970 was declared Roberto Clemente night. On this day, several Puerto Rican fans traveled to Three River Stadium and cheered Clemente. A ceremony to honor Clemente took place during which he received a scroll with 300,000 signatures compiled in Puerto Rico and several thousands of dollars were donated to charity work following Clemente's request. On September 30th, 1972, the last regular season at bat of his career, he hit a double off John Matlock of the New York Mets for his 3,000th hit. Three months later, he would meet his fate on December 31st due to engine failure, but his legacy lives on, as does that of Richie Valens. Richie Valens was a pioneer of Chicano rock and Latin rock and inspired many musicians of Mexican heritage. He influenced the likes of Los Lobos, Los Lonely Boys, and Carlos Santana, as he had become nationally successful at a time when very few Latinos were in American rock or pop music. He's considered the first Latino to successfully cross over into mainstream rock. Clemente was posthumously presented three civilian awards of the United States government from the President of the United States, including the first Presidential Citizens Medal. His number 21 was retired by the Pittsburgh Pirates on April 6, 1973. The United States Postal Service issued a Roberto Clemente postal stamp on August 17, 1984. The stamp was designed by Juan Lopez Bonilla, and shows Clemente wearing a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball cap with the Puerto Rican flag in the background. For his time in the service, Clemente was inducted into the United States Marine Corps Sports Hall of Fame in 2003. And in 2004, he was inducted into the Baseball Reliquary Shrine of the Internals. In 2005, he was named a member of MLB's Latino Legends team. In 2007, Clemente was selected for the all-time Rawlings Golden Glove team. 2010, inducted into the Hispanic Heritage Baseball Museum Hall of Fame. 2015, Clemente was enshrined in the Caribbean Baseball Hall of Fame. The Coliseum in San Juan, Puerto Rico was named the Roberto Clemente Coliseum in 1973. The Pittsburgh Pirates is one of the most popular baseball teams in Puerto Rico due to Clemente. And in Pittsburgh, the Sixth Street Bridge was renamed in his memory. 
The city of Pittsburgh maintains Roberto Clemente Memorial Park alongside North Shore Drive in the city's north side, which includes a bronze relief by sculptor Eleanor Millville. In the Roberto Clemente Museum, which is located in the Lawrenceville section of Pittsburgh, opened in 2007. Near the old Forbes field where he began his pro career, the city of Pittsburgh has renamed a street in his honor. Roberto Clemente's influence on Puerto Rican baseball players was very similar to that of Jackie Robinson for African-American baseball players. He wasn't the first Puerto Rican to play in the MLB, however, he was arguably the most notable at the time. Roberto faced discrimination and disrespect while playing in Major League Baseball. Roberto persevered and continued to let his play shine and prove why he and many Latino players like him deserve to play among the best in the major leagues. Recognized as the great one, he often made his frustrations known about being overlooked by the media during his career. In Puerto Rico, Roberto was nothing less than a monumental superstar. He was considered a national hero and was idolized by all the young players watching him. As rich and famous Roberto got, he never stopped helping others. He always helped the underprivileged as much as he could. Many stars have emerged from ball fields of Puerto Rico since baseball arrived in the island in the late 1800s. There were Hall of Famers Orlando Cepeda, Pudge Rodriguez, Roberto Alomar, Javi Lopez, Juan Pizarro, Jose Valentine, Bernie Williams. Carlos Correa has emerged as one of Puerto Rico's best talents in baseball. On what he admired most about Clemente as a player, the passion, the way he played, the way he went about his business every single day, every time he put on his uniform, he felt like the luckiest man in the world. So that for me is what I admire most. Clemente's effect was not only felt in the hearts of Puerto Rican people, his impact is still being felt in Major League today. Roberto showcased some of the best talent that Puerto Rico could offer and paved the way for thousands of players to follow his lead. He broke through the cultural barrier in the MLB and made Puerto Rican baseball players respected. Richie Valens' hit La Bamba proved to be his most influential recording, not only by becoming a pop chart hit sung entirely in Spanish, but also because of its successful blending of traditional Latin American music with rock. Valens was the first to capitalize on this formula, which was later adopted by such varied artists as Selena and others. Ironically, the Valenzuela family spoke only English at home, and he knew very little Spanish. Valens learned the lyrics phonetically to record La Bamba in Spanish. In 2019, the Valens version of La Bamba was selected by the U.S. Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Come On, Let's Go has been recorded by Los Lobos, the Ramones, and the Paley Brothers, among others. Johnny Reb and his Rebels recorded the song for Leiden Canato Records in Australia, and his song Donna has been recorded by artists as diverse as MXPX, The Youngbloods, Capadonna, and The Misfits. Paxton Park in Pacoima was renamed in memory of Valens in the 1990s. A city council member representing Pacoima proposed the renaming to honor Valens so residents would remember his humble background and emulate his accomplishments. Musician Tommy Alsup started a club, Tommy's Heads Up Saloon, in Dallas in 1979. The club was named for the fateful coin toss between Valens and him 20 years prior. On May 11, 1990, 31 years after his death, Valens was finally honored a star bearing his name unveiled on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Richie Valens and Roberto Clemente were two pioneers in their own right. They were both influential in bringing more awareness to their culture, to their ethnicity. They also shared the unfortunate fate of dying in a mysterious plane crash. We never discovered the cause of Richie Valens' plane crashing and Roberto Clemente's body was never found.
that was across the lines. Today in entertainment history, in 1926, a weather map is televised for the first time. In 1958, the TV game show scandal investigation starts. In 1981, Jerry Lewis appears on Donahue to defend telethons. In 1986, John Tesh makes his first appearance on Entertainment Tonight. Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi, haters. Winch of Florida strikes again. According to New York Daily News, a white man got angry with his black girlfriend who reportedly wanted to roleplay Slave and Slaver, which resulted in the pair getting into a spat that brought Tampa area cops into the mix. Police in the Florida town of Bradenton arrived at the home of Kenneth Atkins and Ashley Edwards to find the pair engaged in a verbal argument over refusal to roleplay, according to an August 6th affidavit. Ashley stated she wanted to play slave and slaver because she is African-American and he is Caucasian. According to the Manatee County Sheriff's Office report, Kenneth did not wish to partake and became verbally aggressive. As tensions escalated, Atkins spat in Ashley's face, police reported. Atkins denied getting physical with Edwards, but was arrested for simple battery shortly before 11 p.m. and brought to the Manatee County Central Jail. Edwards, whom police say was not injured, refused to complete an affidavit and asked cops not to book Atkins. The Smoking Gun reports that Atkins has a lengthy rap sheet, which includes a grand theft charge from May that is still pending. Hey, Ashley, it's clear that you have self-hatred issues. Um, not because you're dating a white man, um, more so because you want to role play as a slave with your white boyfriend portraying a slave owner. Um, there's nothing erotic about that. There's nothing sexy about that. And I, I just feel like that stems from something within you, Ashley Edwards. Um, Mr. Atkins, he's not off the hook either because spitting in someone's face is just not how we get down over the culture. However, Kenneth Atkins, maybe that spit in the face can wake her ass up. But I highly doubt it. She's in a lull. She's in a deep sleep. She's in REM minutes. I feel like I I have to speak out on that part. We can't overlook that because he did spit in a black woman's face. Um, but I don't know if she realizes she's black. Like, I mean, I we didn't live in slave times, but from the stories I've read and the things that I've heard, it sounds like something that we don't want to relive. Ashley Edwards, who raised you? Where are you from? What part of Florida are you from? Do your parents love you? Do they hug you enough? Do you detest your people? Do you love your people? Do you love yourself? Do you love your family? Because a black woman that not only just dates a white white man, and that's fine, interracial couples, I, I know a lot of them. I'm friends with a lot of them. But... It's not that it's it's the combination of that and you wanting your boyfriend, your white boyfriend to be your slave master. I find that very odd, Ashley Edwards. You are a hater of yourself. I feel like I, you know, 
even though we've never met Ashley Edwards, I feel like you're one of those kind of bed winches that only date white men because black men are beneath you. I mean, that's not fair for me to assess that, but who the fuck signs up to play slave cosplay? I feel like someone who doesn't hate, who doesn't love themselves. That's who. Ashley Edwards and even you two, Atkins, David Atkins. Thank you both. Fuck you both. up this week's edition of over the culture podcast i'm gonna keep it short this week i'm still in the process of moving I've got a lot of bags i need to unload some boxes and stuff uh, i need to make sense of this place and uh, i also need to find my groove here in the great state of ohio 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 also kids let's remember when we assume we make ourselves look fake woke alright like the boy Scott Bakula, CG, a capital like CC Sabathia, flip the game, sunny side up.